0: Hi everybody and welcome. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it's a privilege to have Rachel Drosdick sigafoos here with us. Hi Rachel.
1: Good morning, how are you doing?
0: Fantastic and you've worked in psychiatric crisis care for the last six years and you're now doing your PhD research looking at crisis um, management and looking at how people respond to stresses and how to support people with it, if I understand correctly. So I think that's a really important topic, given the struggles generally that are going on in the world, and also people working in emergency management. It's such a high-pressure situation and a career to face. So I'd love for you to talk about, you know, your interest in emergency management, first of all, people working in crisis, and um, how you came to focus on it.
1: So working in crisis myself... um... Something that I noticed over time is that crisis workers, emergency services workers are not often separated out in research from their counterparts. So a psychiatric crisis worker may be more generally researched as a mental health practitioner. Um, An emergency services manager or an emergency manager uh, may be looked at more broadly um, in management perspectives or uh, response Mm. perspectives. And that means that the very specific acute stressors that we face, um, and and by acute stressors, I mean um, death, impending death, um, Mm -hmm. major, major disasters, that those acute stressors that we're exposed to aren't getting as much research documentation on how they affect us, how we manage our lives, how we manage our own self-care because we're not seen as a separate specialized field from our counterparts. Um, Mm. When I journeyed out on my PhD and I thought about researching crisis, over time what I did observe in the literature is that a lot of people have begun, begun to examine our responses to stress, but we're still lacking in the protective factors. How does a person actually stay psychologically safe in this? Um, How does a person stay very literally physically safe? And how do we protect really powerful, compassionate, focused workers from leaving the field because of the things Mm. that we experience and we're exposed to?
0: Mm. A term that I'm familiar with, not being from a medical background, is PTSD, and I would imagine that that type of um, response or collection of responses and stresses and the way that affects you would be quite common to people in emergency management. Um, are there names or phrases that people might understand um, that that they could um, experience when they're in emergency management that you could tell Absolutely. us about?
1: Absolutely. So there's PTSD, which is you have directly experienced a trauma and it is having an effect on you. Um, There's also um, vicarious trauma or secondary post-traumatic stress, um, which is you work with people who have experienced those losses. You work in communities that have experienced those losses. And over time, it begins to have that similar somatic reaction. So that may show up in um, a high startle response, um, nightmares about the things that you've seen, Um, very powerful at times overpowering and overwhelming memories of the experiences. Um, That would be especially pertinent to people who do things like uh, firefighting um, Mm. in the United States, Um, the firefighters who have been responding to these somewhat chronic fires out West in California, Oregon, Washington, um, that wears on you over time. I have a Mm. very dear friend of mine who is, uh, she's a death responder um, for the Department of Defense, the U.S. Department of Defense. And that has absolutely components of trauma that have borne out on her. So that's vicarious trauma. Um, And then there's also compassion fatigue. And compassion fatigue is you're working with people directly, face-to-face, and over a course of time, you begin to lose your ability to empathically relate to the people that you're working with. Um, You may hear it in phrases like, well, they just don't want to get out of the situation that they're in. Or if they were smarter, they would stop going that direction. I genuinely believe that is not a reaction that people choose because they want to be callous. It's something Mm. that they develop over time as a coping mechanism, but it is a maladaptive coping mechanism. Um, So those are some of the different ones. And then burnout is a much more generalized term that you can hear across Mm. any profession. And burnout is essentially, I do the same thing over and over and over again. So whether that's firefighting or filing paperwork, and this thing that I've done over and over has become totally uninteresting to
0: me at this point hmm. so you've got vicarious trauma mm-hmm. dealing with people who are going through the trauma you've got mm-hmm. compassion fatigue yep. and I, I can I can understand that yeah. um, burnout that's a phrase that people have heard in all different types of industries right it's really good that you can identify some of the some of the outcomes for this like the nightmares the high startle response mm-hmm. can you explain that I wrote that down high startle response
1: the high startle response is, Mm. I think for a lot of people, it's one of the things that we might be late to realize in ourselves. So it could be, you hear someone slam a door, um, you hear a loud noise and you jump. Um, Mm. And it's this reaction that you hear, and I use loud noise, but it can be a lot of things. Um, Loud noise is usually the one that gets people, that everybody else in the room, nobody else jumped. And you, and I have had this for myself, you have this reaction, like, okay, what, what disaster is about to happen? What do I need to do to keep myself safe? Um, In my life, I have actually seen um, that also, and it doubles down with hypervigilance. And so hypervigilance is a constant state of alertness, looking for things that could be a danger to us. Um, I, and my husband's best friend, both insist on facing doorways when we're out in public because we want to see who's coming in the door. And um, that can Mm -hmm. be very interesting when there's two people who have that affliction because we're (laughs) trying to get a look at doorways. But you hear that a lot that I need to know at all times, I'm constantly monitoring for my safety and the safety of the people who are around me so and when you talk about ptsd that is what it sounds like but for both of us it comes from working with people who have been traumatized Hmm. our stories began to become reflective of the stories of the people that they've shared with us
0: so you said about um Acute stresses like death and impending death—just mm-hmm. thinking about that. When death happens, you cope with it, and you have to respond, and then you might move on as an emergency manager. Right. But the sense of impending death—that must be actually worse. Would you say?
1: I think so, because it begs for something to be done. I think as um, humans, we have learned over time, um, grief will sit with you. You will experience death and you will find ways to cope with that and as you've Mm. just shared you know it happens and you move on to the next thing so there's this component of i'm going to be effective in how i respond to this when we talk about impending death especially as people in crisis and emergency management that we pride ourselves on being highly proficient people We are often the ones that everybody turns to us and asks us, what do you do here? What are we supposed to do? And we're so accustomed to that. But when we're talking about impending death, the identities that we hold for ourselves as proficient, as reliable, as effective, um, as cool headed, Mm. get a little bit questioned because maybe we don't have control over whether this person will or will not make it. And Mm. How we manage that is, and this is very borne out in the literature, how we manage that we will experience these losses. Um, When you work in psychiatric crisis, they'll tell you, you will lose someone, it will happen. Um, Whether you choose to ascribe that to, that was my own failure, I failed at my job, or this was a very difficult circumstance that we were all put under. And I know that my team did the best that we can and we're going to identify things that maybe we can do to prevent something future like this, but I know in this case, in this instance, we did what we knew we could do.
0: Mm. You've talked about a number of the stresses that emergency managers, crisis responders, uh, disaster our workers may face. What about some of those strategies to cope with coping mechanisms?
1: I this is so my bread and butter. I adore this. And I always tell people part of the reason that I'm so passionate about it is because of the ways that I mismanaged my own life. And so I learned it all firsthand. Um, when we talk about responding so much of self-care, so much of the things that keep us healthy, they are things we've already done. they are things that we're doing beforehand. Um, I tell people prevention is much easier than recovery. If you're waiting for recovery, you are going to be scraping your hands up the side of that well, as opposed to saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do this week to keep myself well. And where it becomes interesting with something like crisis and emergency management is the awareness that you can schedule something and it can fly right out the window because we're needed in this moment. That's what happens when you're a 24 hour crisis worker, right? Or emergency worker. Um, But absolutely getting a healthy amount of sleep is vital. Um, Some people wear it like a badge of pride. I only got two hours of sleep last night. Well, now what we're finding out is driving while sleepy is as dangerous, if not more dangerous than driving while intoxicated. Mm -hmm. So if we know that about driving, then how do we keep ourselves safe professionally? How do we keep our community safe professionally? It starts with I got a healthy and reasonable amount of sleep. Um, nutrition is important. Getting your body getting your body moving on a regular basis. Um, I love the physiology of stress. My background prior to working in human services was actually in athletics coaching. Um, Our body is filled with chemicals at any given time, and we can maximize, we can optimize the chemicals, or we can pretend that they don't exist and become subject to their effects on our lives. So doing something like moving helps us focus, helps us relax. It brings down our blood pressure to be out in nature, to be around people that we love, to touch our pets to engage with music. That all brings our physiology down so that those of us have to respond to crisis and emergency. When that moment comes, we have already done the prevention work. Our bodies are fit to work as opposed to, you know, this week I binged on television shows for 14 hours and I slept six hours and I watched Blue Light all day long and now I don't feel ready to go back and do my job. Well. That's because your body's chemicals got out of whack there. Hmm. You have this little smirk on your face. (laughs) I've hit a a nerve.
0: I was speaking to Jake Wolf last week, um, who's been in emergency management for many, many years. And uh, he was just describing how often first responders and those working in emergency management will turn to alcohol. Yes. Uh, because it just takes your mind off it. It's socializing, distracts you. Uh, but then there are those problems that follow on from that and the dependency that happens as well. So what have you seen have been some of the unhealthy Um, coping mechanisms that emergency managers might have put in place just for those people who watch the recording and our students who are are professionals in Mm -hmm. emergency management who are getting their degree or their their master's degree they might identify some of those coping strategies and seek to mitigate them or reduce them.
1: Sure Um, one of the ones that I see really frequently and it ties in with compassion fatigue um, is remaining empathic and an appropriate distance. Um, So not getting tied in too closely with things. And this is really pertinent, especially for our young professionals, people who are just getting into the field. Um, I mentioned my husband's best friend earlier, he's a retired law enforcement. Um, And unfortunately, one of his specialties, I promise this ties back, was investigating crimes against children. And I asked him one time, how did you do that? Um, He said, you know, Rachel, you don't have to save the whole world, you just have to save enough of yourself to save a little bit of somebody else. Mm. One of the things that I observe with a lot of young professionals, and I think I definitely experienced myself, so I can confess to that, I can admit to that and say I had to learn how to manage that. Um, And this is also borne out in the literature that people who are young tend to be more likely to experience those damaging stressors um, is I'm going to change the face of the industry. I'm going to save the world. I and you know people say people will tell me you'll figure it out. You're going to figure out that this won't go the way that you want. But I know that I'm different and it it hurts. It is so humbling to realize that actually the healthier way of looking at it is going to do my best i'm not going to put so much stress i'm not going to put so much pressure on myself to mm-hmm. be solely responsible for this going well um and i'm not going to hold myself responsible for not having resources that i didn't have um so that's a big part of having an appropriate empathic distance um the flip side of that is i have decided i'm not going to care about any of this and i'm going to develop Um, a lot of barriers between me and the people that I care for. Um, The literature with, for example, child welfare professionals says that one of the most common maladaptive coping skills of um, child welfare workers along with alcohol usage is the decision not to believe that things are actually as bad as our clients tell us they are. Um, And when we engage in that as a maladaptive coping mechanism, we give ourselves permission to not be as responsive to them. If in emergency management, you have a community that says um, this bridge being out, for example, um, has changed everybody's way of life because now we have to drive five extra miles to a grocery store, right? Mm. Five extra miles, does that seem so bad? But if it's an entire community and you look at the traffic patterns and that means that now you have three times as many cars using that bridge over there. Um, That also means that that five minutes or that five miles, meters, kilometers, I'm sorry, forgetting my audience. Um, That means that that bridge is now overused. People are experiencing more traffic over there.
0: Right. Um,
1: So accepting that how people communicate the quality or lack of quality of their life, that is their experience, is incredibly important to not build that reinforcing barrier. You are separate than me. I do not have All to right. listen to you.
0: So just, I mean, I've got a page full of notes already, <laughs> Rachel, um, and this has been really, really good. Just just to wrap up, what would you say to young aspiring emergency managers? Uh, what are some, some things you would encourage them to build into their lifestyle, their toolkit, uh, to prepare them for what's to come?
1: I would say exactly what my friend said to me, which is, you really do not have to save the whole world. You just have to save enough of yourself to save a little bit of somebody else. You are valuable. The skill set that you bring to this may not look like all of your cohorts. And that may make you feel like, I don't belong here. I'm so different. Or you may feel like you are very similar to everybody else. Each of us is going to serve a very particular role in this, understanding your identity, fostering and nourishing your own physical and mental health, having acceptance for the experiences that you have had in your past and you're going to have in your future. Those are going to be the things that make it easier, not easy, easier to roll with the pressures that we're going to experience when i as a crisis worker stopped fighting everything all the time it became a lot more manageable for me to do this job Um, and i really believe acceptance is a major component of keeping ourselves well and more potentially more important keeping ourselves well enough to be effective enough at our job that when we show up for people who are just Their homes are ruined. Their Hmm. lives feel just destroyed. We're ready for them. We are ready. Um, I also, a second thing for myself is I have decided that I have an obligation. Um, I defined this for myself. And my obligation to my clients is nobody will leave my presence worse than when they met me. Perhaps they don't Hmm. leave better. But my obligation to my clients is I will see you with dignity. I will see you with humility. I will see you with respect. And if I have done those things, I should not have made your life worse. Ideally, you leave my presence and you think, I'm 1% better.
0: Right. That's fantastic. So I've got recognize... Your own uniqueness and Mm -hmm. your own identity. Don't try to be like everyone else and don't feel that you're completely different. Uh, Foster your physical and your mental health. Yes. Uh, Focus on acceptance rather than fighting everything. Yes. And ensure that no one leaves worse, even if they're 1% better. Mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. And I want to say that phrase that you said one more time that you've already said twice. I think it's really powerful. Save enough of yourself to save someone else. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful.
1: Thank you. Not my wisdom, but I love to share it.
0: Rachel, how do people reach out to you for, for help or resourcing or to get some feedback?
1: Absolutely. Um, my name is at the bottom there. Um, my email address is rachel.drosdick-sigafoos at waldenu. So W-A-L-D and Daniel, E-N as in Nicholas dot E-D-U. Um, if you reach out to me there, if you have questions about my research... I am happy to answer it. Um, I have become a believer in anybody who has earned the letters. Our research has become a type of baby for us. I will just speak ad nauseum. But I am also so invested in hearing about other people's experiences in crisis and emergency response. Because the more I hear from people, the more I realize that there is this common thread of being just fiery, passionate, but also deeply compassionate individuals. And I'd love to hear these. Uh, and it's the best way to put it. You know, the turtles. The, the <laughs> um, in America, we have, I think they exist elsewhere. They're called turtles and they're uh, four pecans and then a little bit of caramel on top and a little bit of chocolate on top. And so I think sometimes crisis and emergency workers, we're kind of like turtles. We're a little bit sticky, we're a little bit sweet, we're a little bit nutty, but man, are we good. We are good people. (laughs)
0: Love it, that's fantastic. Rachel, thank you very much for being with us. Don't go away. I'd love to have a chat with you after the show. So, thanks so much for being with us. And for everyone who's watching the recording and our students um, who are all emergency management professionals, underneath the video on Facebook, YouTube, or on LinkedIn, there is a link to Rachel's research. And it would be fantastic if you could click that link and participate and give her the data that she needs. So, thank you, Rachel, for being with us. And everyone else, if you're working at. You're fantastic. So everyone else who works in emergency management or disaster response, um, many of you have been working in your profession for many, many years. If you're like most emergency managers, you have a big folder full of all the training and um, the courses you've been on, all of your certifications, but there may not be a direct line to an academic degree with all of the training that you've done. And so with UARD and the program that we're running, our accreditation in the UK and with Texas A&M in the the States, United States, uh, we offer a unique way to make sure we recognize and give you credit for all the training and certifications that you've done so you can achieve your bachelor degree or your master's degree from anywhere in the world anywhere anytime much faster as well with credit for everything you've done so do reach out to us at uard.ac.nz or uard.org and we'll see you next time